Hi, I'm Margie Nomura, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the weekly podcast in which I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. I hope you're all well. If you're coming to the first live recording of Desert Island Dishes this Saturday, I'm so excited to see you there. Scared, but also excited. And thank you so much for all the lovely reviews you've been leaving on iTunes. Genuinely, I read all of them. Cool person that I am. And they really do brighten my day. But beyond that, it really does help other people to find the podcast, which is brilliant because obviously I want to be able to carry on bringing the show to you each week. So if you are listening and you felt like doing your good deed of the day, it really is quick and easy to do. And that would be fab. As Georgie mentions, we did actually record this episode about a year and a half ago now. And she was one of my first ever guests, but we never put it out as an episode. And so I was so happy to be able to re-record and have a bit of a catch up with the lovely Georgie. So many exciting things have happened since then. So grab a cup of tea, maybe a biscuit, um, enough waffling from me. Here is today's episode. My guest today is Georgina Hayden. Georgie, otherwise known as Georgie Pudding and Pie, to her hordes of loyal followers and fans on Instagram. She is a hugely successful cook, food writer and stylist from North London. Growing up above her grandparents' Greek Cypriot taverna in Tufnell Park, Georgie developed a passion for cooking. She studied fine art at university, but after graduating, she landed a job as a food writer and stylist at Delicious Magazine. She went on to join Jamie Oliver's food team, where she worked for nearly 12 years. She writes, develops, and styles for magazine features, books, television projects, and campaigns. She published her first cookbook, Stirring Slowly, a few years ago, and we are now only a mere few months away from the publication of her new book, Taverna. Welcome, Georgie Pudding and Pie. Hello! <laughs> what a great name, by the way. Oh, do you know what? I've been really toying with changing it. Have you? Yeah. I'm going to go to just your name. Well, I feel like I've outgrown it a bit because, you know, I joined Instagram many, many moons ago and was obviously younger and it was a bit more fun. And yeah, I don't know. I keep toying with the idea and my husband's like, oh no, but... I don't know. It's funny, isn't it? It's funny world social media. I don't really, I don't really get social media, if I'm honest. Is it a bit like how some people still have their original Hotmail? I address? mean, I only <laughs> just got rid of mine. I, what was yours? Oh my God, it was Shoe Fleur. <laughs> I was a cauliflower. Oh is it my cauliflower? God. Yeah, that is cauliflower. I, I just love, I, but you've got to remember, I'm, you know, I remember not having email. So I got my first email address when I was, when I was, I got my first email address when I was about 18. And I just really liked the word fleur. I think that's very sophisticated. Really? I think mine was pink pineapple. I mean, that's really cute. <laughs> that was really, you're probably younger than me and that's really cute. Uh, as opposed to being an 18 year old with a cauliflower. Let's pretend I was younger. No, yeah. um, <laughs> but we actually met a few years ago at a competition. Yeah. Well, I didn't realise when I turned up to the competition that the prize was a trip to India. I know. And then you won it. Yeah, but I didn't go. Yeah. I know, don't. You know, I tried to re-gift it to you. <gasps> Did you? Did I not tell you no. that? Yeah, because um well because we'd been trying for a baby for such a long time and and I just thought you know what there's when you're you know when your life is sort of on hold in a certain way and and you try you know I thought oh India's one of my favorite places in the world and I thought sod it I'm gonna enter this competition it'll be really fun and then I won which was brilliant but then as it happened obviously I got pregnant a month later so I, I couldn't go to India on this incredible trip to go to tea plantations and obviously the, the baby who is now Persephone was a, a much better gift and much yeah better much better price but I did email the people from the competition and said oh you know I you know obviously Margie was the you know the next best one so can she go and say oh, I swear geez. I swear my life I did that and they couldn't do it let's jump straight into the first desert island dish so I know that initially you didn't think of going into food as a career. You were really academic at school and surrounded by a family who loved food. And you were just brought up to kind of think that that was the norms. I mean, you're being very kind when you say really academic. <laughs> Georgie, that's what uh, it said in my research. I so. mean, I just, yeah, well, I was a bit, I was a bit of a geek at school. I was actually probably just like average, but I just, I, I loved school anyway. And I love maths, which is what I think probably they're referencing. I'm a bit slow off the mark sometimes. I don't think I realised that having a world that is centred around food isn't everyone's reality. And actually, 
even now at the you know my poor age of 36 it's sort of still occurring to me there's all these things that are happening from my childhood and my life I was like oh god that's not normal actually so where I was you know relatively academic or I loved school or whatever I didn't think that food was a career I just thought that everyone's lives were around food and it didn't hit me until I was actually at university in sort of early 20s that maybe I should follow that yeah yeah that's such an interesting point like when when something is just the norm to you you yeah. kind of just imagine that everyone else is living the same life well this is it you know what do you mean you didn't grow up in a restaurant yeah. and you don't get fed 20 times a day you know like I remember being um seven and having my tonsils out and back then you know god bless NHS but you could stay in hospital for a few weeks as opposed to being kicked out the next day <laughs> and I was in hospital for a while and our restaurant was down the road and my mum and dad would bring me freshly cooked food every night for my grandparents you know Greek delicious home-cooked Greek food and I remember turning to my mum and dad crying saying I just want to eat what the other children are eating <gasps> which was the you know the crappy hospital food oh my goodness and kicking up a right old stink and um you know my god what a spoiled brat yeah but as a child <laughs> you just want to be the same as everyone else you just want to fit yeah. in don't you well let's talk about the first desert island dish and that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood oh my gosh okay well that's really hard when you if you, you've grown up in a house household which is just based around food you know what is actually actually occurred to me recently because it's something I don't cook for myself anymore is after years of being a vegetarian I now eat meat but um I'm not in the habit of cooking myself a steak okay however I did recently and I think because of the restaurants the smell of cooking steak it just it it almost punched me in the face a little bit I was like oh my god so basically we had this restaurant and it was it was um all separate dishes as well as being sort of steakhouse and kebabs and all that so, you know so it was a real smell of meat and then i gave up eating meat in my sort of early teens and my dad because he was such a carnivore when we had the restaurant someone dared him to go for a month without eating meat and anyway he felt so good afterwards he's never eaten meat since really so yeah so he's now not eaten meat for about 25 years so it was really funny. So for my whole sort of 10, first 10 years of my life, the smell of, of steak and kebabs and searing meat was, was such a delicious and evocative smell. Um, and then it sort of just very quickly disappeared because I then became vegetarian and my grandparents retired. My dad stopped eating meat. I did. My sister did too. So it was something that sort of disappeared from my life quite quickly. And then recently, you know, I was serving a delicious ribeye and I just was like the biggest hit in the face. And I got, God, that smell just really takes you back. Yeah, I was in the restaurant again and I was eight and it was it was just wonderful, actually. So that's very interesting that you became a vegetarian and then you stopped being a vegetarian. Yes, how did that the happen? opposite way. Yeah, <laughs> the rest of Against the, the current trend. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> well, so yeah, during my teens and whatever, I, you know, I, I, I still like to think I live... I try and live um, a, a, a sort of conscious life. Life, I, you know, I try and, and do things and be environmentally aware and and whatever. And I didn't learn to drive because it was bad for the environment um, until I was very old. Very old. That's a lie. You know, with my late twenties, compared to say being seventeen. Yeah. I mean. So you were really aware of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I was vegetarian, I wasn't just you know I didn't eat gelatin, I didn't wear leather, you know, all those kind of things. So not just sort of sort of a faddy vegetarian. Like I was just very ethically aware. And, and then I was, it was when I was at, you know, I took a few years off and I went to art school and then I went to uni and it was whilst I was at uni, I realized I wanted to work with food. So I sort of started to become more interested in food and where it came from, as opposed to just being, no, I'm not going to eat meat. And around the same time, I actually became very ill. So in, I've always been anemic. It's hereditary. It's, you know, you find lots of separate people are anemic. Um, and my name got really bad and there was it was my last year at uni and, and I couldn't even get on the train home from Leeds to London because I just couldn't get out of bed I was so weak and my doctor just you know I was constantly being checked my iron levels and you know the, the tablets and whatever weren't working and I was eating loads of lentils you know we have a, a, a diet rich in lentils and spinach and stuff in Cyprus and he just said look you're gonna have to have iron infusions like drips because you're just not getting enough iron you need something you need to change your diet so I then just started investigating it more and that's when I reintroduced meat into my diet. It was partly from a fascination and wanting to work in food and it was partly because my body was telling me actually, you know, it, if people want to cut out food groups and do what they want to do, it's their choice. But, you know, we are all built differently. Yeah. You know, there was definitely certain 
countries and nationalities where they can't consume dairy whereas you know we have for like hundreds of years now we are more adapted there's different parts of the world you know and i'm from a part of the world where iron absorption is just a problem you know even now i eat meat and and during pregnancy with persephone i still had to have drips that's so interesting and i mean you're right because there is no one size fits all, which is the problem with a lot of the food advice and everything like that that's happening at the moment. You just have to be really careful and listen to yourself. You know, I've got a friend who's been vegan for a few years and she was so upset. She turned to me the other day and she said, you know, my doctor says to me, I have to start eating dairy because I'm so frightfully low in these, in these certain vitamins. And, and you can take the tablets, but what I think a lot of people don't understand is that not all, not everything is, is, is equal, you know, Mm. great. You can be a vegetarian and eat loads of lentils, but the, the iron that you'd get from eating red meat is not the same as the iron you're going to get from lentils. It's not absorbed in the same way. You don't extract, your body doesn't extract it the same way. So whilst I was, I ate really well, I just wasn't, it wasn't enough. And even now as a meat eater and during pregnancy, I was drinking Spartone and tablets and all that. I still had to have drips. So it just, it still just goes to show, doesn't you? We're We're all built differently, but yeah. I don't eat a lot of meat, maybe once a week, okay. twice a week, just because, yeah. I wanted to ask you, so after university, so you studied fine art at university and then your first job was with Delicious magazine. Yeah, well, it was, a, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't really, it was a runner's job. So basically when I was in my last year at uni and I had this epiphany of wanting to work in food, Delicious had just launched, it had been that year. And, you know, food, the food scene wasn't what it is now. It wasn't like particularly trend. Obviously food's always been big, but it wasn't trendy. There was no Instagram or whatever. That wasn't even Facebook. Um, anyway, so I wrote to Delicious and was like, can I just come in and do a, a work experience placement? And they were like, yeah, great. So I did. My my tutor sort of just let me go off for two weeks and do that. And and I just thought I'd end up being like a designer or something. And I went on my first food shoot and I just had this real moment. I was like, oh my God, there's someone whose job it is to write about food, cook the food for photography. I was like, that's it. So I, I very much had my eye on the prize. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I went on this day and I just thought, that is it. So I stayed in touch. And then as I was coming up to graduation, they had this three-month temporary job. It was like being a food runner. So yeah, the publishing house that had uh, Delici- Delicious also had Sainsbury's magazine and a few other magazines. So I was just there for three months as this like Christmas elf sorting out their Christmas products. And I basically just tried to make myself sort of you know, as needed as possible. And they kept me on as the sort of in-house assistant. And it was, I was there for exactly a year. Um, Before yeah. you got snapped up by Jamie. Oliver. Yeah. And then through that, I met Jamie's head stylist, uh, who's Ginny. And at the time it was just her and Anna Jones. And, and then I was there for 12 years. That's so interesting. So you, you joined the Jamie Oliver team when it was still sort of in its infancy. I mean, yeah, he must've, I mean, he was, he was a huge deal at the time. Don't take me wrong. He'd already been around for sort of, maybe like five or six years, no longer probably. And, but it was tiny. The team was tiny. I mean, it's grown massively since then. How exciting is that, that you've been part of Delicious right at the start and then Jamie Oliver, I mean, and feeling that there's a common thread, Georgie. Do you I think mean, you're yeah, <laughs> responsible? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to claim anything, Marty, but <laughs> all I'm going to say is um, this is my address. And if you want to send me some thanks, that's great. <laughs> they uh, owe me a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, do you know what? I just, it's, it's just determination and and just hard work and I guess a certain amount of luck as well. But yeah, feel very lucky. Let's talk about the second desert island dish. Mm. And that's the first dish that you learned to cook. My sort of first real clear memories of cooking was always with my mum. I was lucky that my mum was around, like stay at home mum. And well, we had the restaurant, so, you know, whatever. But um, she always baked with us. And I just really clearly always remember making fairy cakes with red and green glacé cherries. There's always green ones as well. And yeah, just making like little, little buns, not like, you know, your big muffins with your cream cheese frostings and all that malarkey, just little tiny little fairy cakes with cherries. And sometimes we'd chop off the tops and make them into little wings Ooh, yeah. and just with whipped double cream, you know, nothing. Ooh, what in the middle? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And then like a icing, like a glaze or no, no. It's like the glaze, the glaze ones had the cherry, the glass of cherries. And then the ones that were fairy cakes would slice at the top and slice them in half and put some cream and then put them as wings. Oh yeah. Like, that sounds, yeah. Yes. a very different beast to the american oh my god i still to know don't get me wrong i'll make them but i can't get on board with those where it's like half sponge half sugary buttercream no i'm not into it yeah they're very different i prefer like a little drizzle icing if anything hmm, interesting yeah. also i think you just they're much easier to eat the very much aren't they? easier and because eat. they're called 
berry cakes. They I sort mean, of feel magic. very, yeah, they feel, <laughs> they feel very light and dainty. Exactly. <laughs> Just like me. Yeah. <laughs> so for anyone who may not be aware, what exactly is a food stylist? So a food stylist is someone, it can vary. So a food generally is basically someone who cooks food for photography or for TV. So when you are, uh, when you pick up your cookbook, occasionally the writer will have cooked the food in the photographs but you know if the person writing it is is just a very you know they're writing and that is their thing the publisher will often employ a food stylist to make the food for the photography because cooking food for photography and the way you plate it up is is different to just how you plate it up at home obviously yeah um so what, does your food not always look exactly I mean, how it looks it in the books Georgie? so beautiful and it's always just you know got a glaze on it um but yeah so it's you know it's making food as aesthetically appealing as possible and the same for tv tv it's those sorts of you know if someone's on you know jamie's on telly and he's cooking a, a brisket for five hours you know they haven't got five hours to wait for that to cook so there'll be a team of food stylists behind the scenes getting everything ready so there's all the different stages are ready to swap in mm. so everything is efficient as possible that's so interesting and i guess there are so many different types of food stylists because you could be on a huge yeah. advert production exactly. or tv show like do you have a particular specialism yeah so you have different types of food like um generally i think just for us because I trained with Jamie's team and Jamie um, we had to sort of do everything so we did things from like ads commercials like Sainsbury's commercials and whatever back in those days and and also his books so my training is such that I guess I've done editorial which is the more sort of visually you know pleasing stuff like for magazines and books and then the big stuff like the ads so you know ads are a completely different beast they may be less artistic but there's real fun with them there's real Mm. adrenaline with doing ads and did you ever have to do any of the weird stuff like a steaming tea bag Um, not with well not with jamie varnish varnish oh my goodness no (laughs) thankfully jamie was it has always been very um you know the food that you see on telly has to be edible um he never wants to do any trickery which i totally respect but i have had to do jobs with things like the steaming tampon oh. <laughs> do you know about the tampon no uh so this is one of the my sort of favorite ones if you see like a steaming chicken on telly or a steaming turkey um obviously they only steam for a certain amount of time and if you're filming that scene can take a whole day to film you know that turkey is not going to fit it's going to steam for hours and end is it so what you do is you get a bowl of boiling water and you snip up some tampons <laughs> and you put them in the boiling water George. true story and then you put the boil you put the bowl of tampons <laughs> in the microwave and then they're like they're basically steaming hot and then you put them inside the cavity of poultry said poultry and then you've got a steaming hot poultry wow what I, that, i've learned something new today yeah, so <laughs> there you go next time you see that ad on telly you will not look at that chicken the same way no definitely it's not definitely got tampon but i think there's something to be said about the way that jamie does it because that feels more it feels more honest and yeah it's sort of accessible yeah it's more achievable like you're you're saying we've done this yeah and therefore you can do it too whereas otherwise it's sort of i don't know it's kind of setting expectations yes, people can't live up to isn't it? yeah the thing is you're always going to get people complaining going oh my meal didn't take 15 sure. minutes or mine doesn't look like the book and then say that is just life right yeah you're not a professional well but... quite i can't do my tax return the same way an accountant can right? we've all got skills in life let's be honest but at the end of the day i guess when you're someone as big a name as jamie or whoever you want to be able to turn around and say actually that was done in 15 minutes or that is just the way it looks it's not yeah. because we've covered it in nail varnish whatever like he you know you need to have the ability to say that is true like you know when i worked there we did do the 15 minute meal books or 30 minute meal books and and it's something that people still say to me when i tell them sort of my what i've done for a living like oh nothing ever takes that time and i just keep my mouth shut because i'm not going to get an argument with someone i've met in a pub i'm not that person (laughs) but equally i'm the person that's been stood in that kitchen with a timer and you know he we have had to do it three rounds of people have had to do it so we can do it in that time because if you can't prove it, then you're just lying, aren't you? And yeah. I think that's, you know, the great thing about, well, not just Amy, but, you know, lots of magazines do those sort of things now. And I think it's great. Yeah. I, that's also really interesting because there's like, they're obviously really different jobs if you're using the varnish and all of those other yeah. things versus just focusing solely on the food yeah. and on the sort of Absolutely. ability of the chef. It's it's a different kind of thing, isn't it? And Completely. equally interesting. Yeah, I love, I did a job last month, which um, was, you know, it wasn't more varnishing or whatever, but it did involve tweezers. <gasps> 
And I just loved it actually, because that, that's where my sort of art background yeah. comes out. I just, you know, it wasn't particularly food, well, it wasn't foodie at all, foodie, well, not that sort of horrible word, but, you know, it wasn't food driven. It wasn't um, a beautiful food shot, but it was an advertising shot and it did involve a toolbox and tweezers and spray mount and blue tack. And I'm there going, oh my God, I love this. Yes, yeah, so fun. I think my husband always gets a bit alarmed when I pull out the tweezers in the kitchen, but yeah, I love it. <laughs> what else goes into your little toolkit? Because I heard that, didn't you have a bit of a drama one time at an airport? <laughs> I used to um I just wanted to maximize my holidays so I used to often just fly straight after work and I can't remember going to Vietnam I think and I didn't even think I just basically legged it out of this photo shoot it was like bye it went straight to Heathrow and I'd forgotten I had one of my wraps in my bag which had tweezers and it was it didn't it didn't have scalpels or anything like that but it didn't have your knives didn't have my knives no <laughs> i have a range of wraps so this one is a is a little one okay it's like a painter's wrap and it will have a selection of paintbrushes and tweezers but when i say tweezers i mean like we get them from surgical suppliers so we we're not talking like eyebrow tweezers we're talking <laughs> they're like big ones doctors <laughs> tweezers. anyway so i went into heathrow and i don't i don't know how they let me through four flights with it because i anyway yeah and I, when we got to hong kong i they did stop me and i said well i'm a doctor <laughs> <laughs> you were like god no one was on the flight oh my god imagine and they'd be like oh don't worry no. we have actually got a doctor on board I she's got, a, got her kit with her well, how, and, you know <laughs> those kits are expensive like that was like worth a lot of money i wasn't about to just chuck it in the bin no you well, gotta, if i had to jump in it i was like i'm gonna try and blag it first yeah you gotta try i tried like that sneaky bottle of water you always gotta I try know, I know. it's not vodka i promise <laughs> um, yeah let's talk about the third desert island dish <gasps> and that's the best dish you've ever eaten do you know what this is such a hard question because let's be honest margie let's tell them the truth we yeah. filmed we've recorded this before haven't we so we recorded this a year and a half ago but i had a very little baby who liked to make herself known so we're doing this again aren't we yes and it's really funny i was trying to remember what i said to you last time not only have i got a terrible memory but i also was post-pregnancy brain so i have no recollection of what i said to you a year and a half ago <laughs> it'd be kind of fun to put that out Z- zero <laughs> recollection at all so favorite dish i've ever eaten oh my god that is just because I'm, I'm a and what, hugely. What you mean is this answer might not be the same as the last one, but it's because it's such a difficult question that it can yeah. change on any given day. Because I definitely remember the first dish I learned to cook was definitely fairy cakes last time as well, because that is just the first. That's just yeah. fact. Was for the favorite dish? Like I'm also, I'm a hugely nostalgic person. So for me, food is very much about you know. So stirring slowly is all about family. Taverna is all about family. Like what I do is very, I'm very nostalgic. I'm a hugely maternal cook. Like when I say maternal cook, I don't mean because I'm a mother. I would have always described myself that way. I I cook to nourish. And I think that's the best food for me is often the food that's been cooked with love. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a Michelin star meal. You know, I've eaten some great food in Michelin star restaurants. The irony being, I, I couldn't actually probably tell you what they were. Yeah. Whereas if I went to someone's home I and they cooked for me, you know, with soul and love. And I could tell you exactly what I ate mm. if it was 15 years ago. So, Such a different thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, completely. I, um, so one of, but at the moment, I think um, one of the most memorable meals for me um, was the day before my daughter was born. <gasps> yeah, tell us. So, um, so we knew when I, when we were having Persephone because she was planned section and it was a Tuesday, Tuesday the 20th of June. And, and we hadn't told anyone the exact day because, you know, we were just quite scared or whatever. And then the day before, my husband took the day off work and we had this very surreal day and we'd had a really stressful few months in the lead up and not just with the pregnancy, but our house was, you know, a complete tip. We were having building work and life was just awful. And we had this, not awful, but stressful. Anyway, we had this one day where we'd kicked the builders out and they'd literally kick them out on Saturday. And we woke up on this Monday and we just had, and it was this summer, which was glorious. And we just went back, we went to our favorite restaurant, which is Rochelle Canteen for lunch. Mm. And it was so hot. It was about 30 degrees. And we sat in the garden and it was just, you know, it was our last meal before she arrived. And it was just heaven. And I'll never forget sitting in the garden with the most delicious cherry sorbet. And it was just like eating just nectar. It was it was div- truly divine and it was just this very blissful moment where everything felt okay and all the stress had just sort of disappeared and and actually we had this hope in our life that felt like it was going to come true and 
and it was just it was magic like you know I'm I'm not I'm not claiming that it was you know the most delicious thing that's ever passed my lips but for me at this moment in my life it was just one of the most memorable and heavenly moments it was really special such a momentous moment sort of knowing that very soon everything is going to change yeah yeah and it was just that wash of of you know we we had a really tough time Our, our son had died of you know three years previously and and we'd been through a lot and not only with him passing away, but also with the pregnancy and, and other superficial stuff like house stuff. Um, and life had just been mad and it was just this really calm moment. And, and you know, we finally, there was this, this time, you know, this very split second where I was like, actually, it might be, you know, sh- she should be here. You know, I sort of hadn't let myself really sort of believe it, yeah. I think. And it was just sitting in this garden, which if you've, you know, people have been to a shell canteen they'll know it's very beautiful it's this old school in east london so you're in this sort of contained beautiful space um and it was just very uh, serene and this cherry sorbet was you know and it was searingly hot and this sorbet was just refreshing and sweet and and delicious and it, i think it's one of my favorite moments oh, georgie that's, that's made me feel a bit emotional sorry <laughs> Um, I can tell you that your previous answer to that question, oh God, go on. which I do want to talk about just because it sounded so delicious, oh God. was a soup that your grandmother made. Oh, so it's a... a um, my Afkolemoni. Yes. Oh, so tell us about God. it. So that recipe is in Taverna and I just love Afkolemoni. Um, it's basically, it's very simple. It's a chicken soup, essentially. And all Greek people will know it. It's where you poach a chicken for hours and you've got the beautiful stock and then you take the, the, the meat out. And in the stock, you cook rice. Um, and then you whisk lots of eggs with lots of lemon juice, fresh lemon juice. And then what you do is you very, very, at the end, very quickly, you cook the, the beaten lemony eggs into the chicken stock and rice, which sounds really mad, but it's, it creates a very creamy soup with uh, tanginess, but richness from the chicken and comfortingness from the rice. And it's just, you know, people say chicken soup is, is, you know, the Jewish penicillin or whatever. And it is just that sort of nourishing, homely. There's always cinnamon sprinkled on at the end. Mm. And I'm just not doing it justice. It is no, one of the, my amazing. Favorite, favorite things. I'll eat it, you know, every week until I die if I could. It's- and am I right in remembering? I might have this wrong. Do you add grated halloumi on top of it no that is i think with that's another thing my granny made where she would poach the chicken and in the same sort of way she would then cook pasta into the chicken stock yes and then that would always be it's funny because grated halloumi is like for us it's you know it's parmesan yeah. and i said it to them the day and they were like grated and i was like oh yeah i guess if you don't think of it you know as in england obviously halloumi is something you grill it's a squeaky cheese whatever. yeah <laughs> but for us it's it's parmesan it's you know pecorino it's well you finished your dishes with grated halloumi i mean yeah wouldn't you? it's quite a recent discovery for me too and it's yeah it's amazing it's amazing it's it just is, divine it is definitely the squeaky cheese <laughs> it is is but oh my gosh yeah grated halloumi and everything something that you also said in our previous chat which i wanted to come back to because i really I thought it was so interesting was we talked about how there's kind of been a shift away from the kind of jobs that we're all doing at the moment and how, how physically demanding jobs are taking a bit of a backseat. And I thought I was talking about how everyone thinks of something like a food stylist as being very glamorous, but actually it's really hard work and it's really physically demanding as is being a chef Yeah, and how there has been a shift away from people wanting to do physically tiring jobs when I guess, the perception, maybe not the reality, but the perception is that there are slightly less demanding jobs out there. <laughs> yeah, I completely, and I think this is, I com- yes, this is something that's, um, I really think is true. And I, I think, it, you know, social media has a lot to, you know, a part play in this because, you know, you can, and there are people out there who have become hugely successful from having a lovely Instagram account where actually what they do is they just eat I say just, but you know, they eat out at restaurants, they take a nice picture and they post on Instagram and, and that is their career. And that is great and good for them. And I think we're in a society now where, um, you know, because that is a reality and you can do that. People strive for that in a way, as opposed to maybe the jobs that involve graft. So for me, my experience, you know, and fine, I, I don't have a huge following on Instagram. I'm not like, you know, but you know, my Instagram, I, I, try and take a nice picture i've got an art background it's not for any other reason than that's what i do i'm trained in that you know my eye is an art, art ti but that's all i do you know so it's not like i'm also an accountant on the side that's yeah my thing right yeah. <laughs> but at the same time you know 
I do it as part of a job which involves hard graft, you know, food styling. If you are a, a fully proper food stylist, and by that I don't mean just for social media, I mean you, your, your job, your bread and butter is to go and work on TV shows and ads. 16-hour days are standard. That is not abnormal at all. You know, you are running around, you are lugging crates of not just food, but like when you're going on a set and you're filming for days on end, you're often in places that don't even have kitchens. So you have to carry ovens. You know, we would take yeah. we doing Christmas ads, which would involve cooking, you know, endless turkeys. We're filming it in a street in Yorkshire. You're in a caravan. You're in like a trailer. You've got six ovens on the go. You're lugging all that stuff. So it's hugely physical. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love that because I, I really love adrenaline. And I think what a lot of people don't realise is it's just as physical as as chefing or you know any of those kinds of jobs. But it's just it's just different. And you know if 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 social media is your thing, that is brilliant. But we are, I think, moving away from the sort of people wanting to do the more manual jobs. Like you know, I I would get asked lots of times for people to come and help. And and when we were in Jamie's, for you know for sure, like people would come in and, and I don't think everyone always realised maybe how physical or un- unglamorous it is actually yeah. behind the scenes. And actually I've, I've just got in touch with my secondary school because I went to a really, just an inner city girls school, um, state school, nothing, you know, and they play a massive, they played a massive part in my sort of feminist beliefs. And I don't, I don't think I realised that until I was quite old and they very much, oh, I say that, God, that's awful thing to say, <laughs> until I was older, sorry, until I was older. But, you know, it was very much ingrained in us that we could just do anything. Just, you know, just because we were women, because we were women, yeah. we could do anything. And I've never, ever looked at anything in life and thought, I can't do that. There was, there was never a part of me. So it's really interesting, this sort of big rise in, in Me Too and, and everyone, you know, um, shouting loud now, which is fantastic. Growing up, we were just told that we could do anything we wanted to do. And so I got in touch with school recently and I was like, you know, we had women come in, talk to us about different careers. And I was like, I, I would like to go in and, and do that. Not because I necessarily think I'm wicked or I've done anything great, but I think it's really important to empower the next generation where, yes, great, through certain platforms, you can do jobs which maybe are social media related or YouTube and all those kind of things. Brilliant. But also graft is good. Yeah. Graft is important. You yeah. need to work hard. If you want to do all right, you need to, you know, put in time and effort and I think that's really important yeah and I think it sort of goes back to the whole thing of the the idea of an overnight success it's sort of not a reality there's so some people do I mean some people but, some it, people but do, it is but quite rare and for the is, most yeah. part there's a lot of hard work 100%. and a lot of hours that go into that and I think the more we can talk about that the more important it is because if that overnight success isn't happening to you, yeah. you could feel quite down in the dumps. And I, a hundred percent, I read something yesterday, which I thought was really interesting. And I talk about social media a lot, but I think it has a lot to play in that, you know, we're of a time now where I think people, and I definitely feel this way, are always thinking we need to be bigger. We need to be, do more. We need to be more successful. And it's like, actually just stop for a minute. I'm all right. Yeah. You know, if this year I don't, you know, do, I'm not in a position next year where I'm, I've got something bigger or better than the year before. That is okay. You know, like I left Jamie's last June and I had been there for 12 years and my husband is currently been in his job for 13 and a half years. And that's really rare. Like people would say to me, God, 12 years or like, God, you've been there for 13 years. And I think it's really rare to sort of be okay with, with being okay. Like we're, you know, we're sort of striving for more and, bigger and everyone's doing this and you can shout about stuff but the reality is like actually it's it's just to be happy is is actually that all that matters and if you can do that and do something you love and care about then that's great really that's the goal let's talk about something slightly less serious oh yeah sorry no the fourth desert island (laughs) what a jump what a jump (laughs) what is your favorite sandwich (laughs) perfect segue i mean it's so relevant uh do you know what? I'm I'm going to say that I probably did say this last time as well. Did I say ham and cheese? I would just... Yes. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so cliche. I just love ham and cheese. I am such a salt freak. I'm such a salt fiend. Do you know what you actually said last time? 
<laughs> oh my god don't. you said that you play a game oh you, if what if, no i was, I was gonna come on to this if you were sandwiched what would you be yeah like that is my favorite thing like your desert island dishes i am if you were sandwiched what would you be i think it says a lot about a person so for me it's ham and cheese okay so not only because you like to eat it but you think that kind of sums you up as a person <laughs> yeah yeah so talk me through that um, <laughs> it would be and i pretty sure i would have said there would have been some sort of chutney in there as well yeah exactly so uh, i think it's almost as a person because it's quite it's comforting it's nostalgic which i am um it's homely it's a bit cheesy again which i am and it definitely has to it's salt salt driven which i think if you would dissect me as a scientist <laughs> you would say that sugar is not my problem this is definitely salt. 98 i'm 98 malden and um <laughs> And then there'd have to be chutney in there because I definitely have a bit of a fire. Mm, I like that game. I don't know what that would make me, but like I mustard like or chutney, it'd be mustard or chutney because I've definitely got like there's an there's a fieriness to me. I like that take on the sandwich. Yeah, what would you be? Am I allowed to ask you? I mean, the only thing that springs to mind, which I may well cut this, but um, I had one of the, <laughs> I had one of those body what are they like a a body fat scanner thing when oh, I was at, when I was at university, so a long time ago. And the the results, the trainer said to me, he was like, okay, um, not to sort of alarm you, oh, shut up, don't. Um, but it's kind of the same as a prawn sandwich. <laughs> that made me laugh a lot. So I don't know. So you're I a, be prawn. a prawn. I'm a prawn sandwich. That's hilarious. <laughs> I love that. I love a prawn mayo. Oh, so good. So good. Um, so I want to talk about, obviously, Stirring Slowly, which was a phenomenal success. Aww. And it feels like it's been around for much longer than a few years because yeah. genuinely people are always telling me that it's their favourite all-time That's cookbook. when you said that, that's so nice. Do you know what I think I like about Stirring Slowly? Like, we were talking about overnight successes and stuff and I think when you write a cookbook, it takes a long time to write and create and you put it out in the world and, and it's really nerve-wracking and you want people to love it because, you, well, I poured my heart and soul into it and, and you know, of course, there's a part of everyone that would love to have something that is an overnight success, you know, just because then it means you know financially as well that you're getting you're know, being able to do something you love which i think is which is a dream let's all be honest but at the same time i was really adamant that i didn't want to I've, all i want to do is write about food basically that's my dream in life and i equally didn't want to do something that was faddy or felt like it would date and i think the thing that i'm really proud of staying slowly is that it seems like it's just been very consistent yeah which, which is amazing which is a dream you know like yeah. it wasn't the sort of thing that was like peaked and dwindled off and no one remembers it like it just seems like it's still which i love like i you know i get tagged and stuff and and you know i can't i can't downplay the fact that if someone tags me in something they've made like the buzz the best it's feeling it's just the best feeling ever like someone has made what well, there's there is someone out there who has just made a recipe that you've written it is the best feeling yeah it's amazing it's the best feeling yeah and so the second book yeah which is out in a couple of months which is so exciting oh. how was that different to writing the first book i mean different in that it's my family's story so it's a book that it sounds it sounds like i'm i'm lying but i'm not i started writing it years ago like i found a file on my very old old computer called cypress book imaginatively <laughs> and this and that was a trip that i did 13 years ago to cyprus i went I, I was 12 years ago 12 years i was just been at jamie's and i took a month off and i went it was in may and i basically traveled around cyprus on my own i've got like, loads of family over there whatever and i went and stayed in the various villages and and learned from all the various relatives and you know so i had my eye on that project for years so um so in many ways this could have been the first book yeah you wrote. and in some and it was almost the first book and you know part of me thinks you know what would my life be if that had been the first book whatever but yes and it could have been the first book no i think it's exciting that you've done it the other way around yeah I, and also, i guess the other thing was i didn't want to as much as separate food as my blood and my lifeline and i want to jump up on the rooftops and say to everyone it's amazing i also you know i i love I love writing about all types of food. Yeah, you know? it's not the only thing you're yeah. known for. But, you know, my family story. And I also think there's so many amazing ethnic books out there, but no one has done a separate book. And I think the thing about separate food that really gets me is... Is that really true? Well, there are, but they're bloody yeah. old. Yeah. Like, there's no current ones. There's not a book that has been written about separate food 
that is is less than and th- that I know anyway that isn't old you that's know that's so exciting yeah it's really exciting because I think for a lot of people Greece and Greek food is is they love I get people some of the time I love Greek food I love Greek food and Middle Eastern food is still riding a massive wave you know um doing phenomenally well and I think for me Cyprus is a blend of the two it's it's Greek food which is familiar but it's got the interestingness of Middle Eastern food because it's basically next to Lebanon and Syria and you know, so we have all the orange blossom and the cumin, the coriander and coriander, you know, all that stuff. So I think it's brilliant. Oh, I'm so excited for it. To I am. I have, anyway, it's been very emotional to write as well because my family is very part of it. So. Oh, yeah. I, the little sneaky peek that I've had. Oh. It looks incredible. Thank you, love. Let's talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often. So we were talking about afgolemoni before. So I would say that dish is some that soup is something that I eat a lot. It's just it's just for my family. It's it's delicious. If whatever poorly, my mum or my yaya, my grandma will come around and make it. Like that is just it's just something that's always there. Afgolemoni was always there. Where interestingly, even though I can make it, it's one of those things that gets made for me. Ah, that is interesting. Yeah, so my mum will make it, my AI will make it. And it just tastes better when someone else makes I it. I mean, for you. yeah, <laughs> I'm like, great, I can make it, but mum, can you just do it? Yeah. <laughs> um, the dish, so other than that, the thing that I make probably the most often when I'm not cooking Greek food is I just love indian food or asian food like spices i i'm a big spice person so something like nasi goreng mm. is a real it's a real staple in our house for lots of reasons just because it's so store cover friendly we traveled around indonesia for our honeymoon and um it was one of the best months of my life and it it was great and nasi goreng was something we ate loads and i love the spice i love the flavors i love how flexible it is but i also think it's a great after dinner recipe and i did put it in stirring slowly for all those reasons and it's it's and now with the baby as well it's something she loves as well so it's a real family friendly thing it's a quick thing it's one of those things wait a good after dinner after dinner it's a good (laughs) yeah i like to just have several meals it's like when i had my roast chicken i then just like to have a side of nasty i was like that is something i can get on board with i like where she's going with this no (laughs) you did say you were more savory than sweet i am that's why i could just have that as a pudding yeah just pudding just nasty going for pudding Um, and tell me, because mm. something very exciting has happened. Not only have you got the new book coming out, but you've got a new column in Delicious magazine. Yeah, that is. Oh my god, I cried when Karen messaged me. Karen's the, the editor, and um, is that how it happened? Just she sent yeah. an email out of the blue. Well, we met at a talk that we did about food, food writing, food styling, food public, you know, public publications and whatever. And we met and we just got on really well. And when I went freelance, I just got in touch with lots of people and said, I'm going freelance, you know, um, let me know if you ever want to work together. And yeah, I just was blown away. I mean, so many reasons, obviously because it's what I want to do. I want to write about food. But, you know, Delicious was was how I started. So talk about coming full circle. Yeah. That was 14 and a half years ago that I did the work experience. Also, that wouldn't have been Karen then, would it? No, it would have been a different no, it was different. It was Mitzi, Mitzi Wilson, and then it was Matthew Drennan. So yeah, long time ago. So yeah, 14 years ago. And it's really weird. I remember walking into Delicious on my first day of my work experience. And the girl that was on reception is now one of my lifelong friends. Really? Yeah, we're still absolute besties. Like, it's so weird. It's such a, yeah. God, so, so it's like really been a part of your life. Yeah, huge part of my life. So you know not only a dream to write a column but for a publication that i i think is is the best out there like i'm not just saying that i i think delicious is, I've, I've i had a subscription yeah. for years nothing to do with whatever i just think it's brilliant so yeah really really lucky and also on another note i do think we need more female voices in food I don't want to sound sexist or anything like that, but I think for a long time, you know, like for TV, I think we're still really, really bloody slow, actually. It's still mainly male dominated. And unfortunately, the women that represent food and food writing and cooking are, you know, often tend to be models for some reason. I'm like, come on, guys, let's get some real people. So it's a bit of a shame the TV world is so slow off the mark, if I'm honest. You know, there's all these amazing women out there and why is it that all the half-hour cooking shows are still men? Mm, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's and interesting. Some of them are really handsome. But, you know, why is it we can't get women? And mm. I just think it's really, really behind time. I think shows like Saturday Kitchen do a good, they're doing yeah, a good job at the abs- moment. They are. Of showcasing so. different people. Absolutely. I've been quite impressed with them. Saturday Kitchen, I think, is the only thing that I'm just like, good, come on. Yeah. Seriously, they get great women, interesting women. And I'm like, someone give some of these women a half-hour show. Jeez, like, mm. how behind the times are we? So... 
you know, from that point of view as well, and and as as an ethnic minority, you know, my I think as well, it's just really we need to have diversity. So. I think basically what we're saying here, Georgia, is someone get Georgia a TV show. No way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got a face for radio. <laughs> oh, that's face or podcast. No, I've got no desire to be on TV, but. You know, just to have some more female diversity out mm. there, I think it's really important. Yeah, you can't be what you can't see. So it is really important that we Absolutely. start seeing much more of all of that. We're on to the sixth desert island dish, and that is your go-to dinner party dish. Do you know what? It's a new one. It's a new one now. Mm, tell us. So it definitely wouldn't have, wouldn't have been what I said last time. But I hosted New Year's Eve uh, this year. So we had 12 mates over, which was so nice. And I'm a big, big fan of, like I say, Asian food. But Vietnamese food is definitely one of my favorite cuisines. I just, I love it so much. Actually, a school friend of mine called Thuy, who is unbelievably sweet and lovely and talented she has um, a restaurant in Angel um, called the Little Viet Kitchen and oh, she's incredible um, her food is divine and she has written a cookbook so I've been meaning to cook from ages because I just love Vietnamese food and I was flicking through it and I thought oh, I found this dish that I just thought sounded perfect it's slow cooked beef in coconut water Ooh. with loads of lemongrass and star anise and cinnamon Anyway, I made it for New Year's Eve with all my mates. And honestly, I think it's been one of the most, it was one of the most successful dinner parties I've had because I basically made this dish essentially the day before because we all know slow cooked meals like that taste better the next day. Yeah. Right. The key to being a good dinner party host is basically not cooking. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so when I was younger and I was trying to impress all my mates at the age of whatever and, and make food, like I didn't quite figure out that actually be present don't be faffing around you don't need you're not a michelin star chef so it's taken me a long time to realize that yeah i think it was the best in a party because basically i made this dish the day before um i served it she told me to serve it with loads of french stick bread like Ooh, style. yeah and i just had loads of steaming hot rice as well and genuinely i think now if i ever have to cook dinner for anyone i would do it it was so so good it was just really tender beef shin had the sweetness from the coconut water without being rich like coconut milk. Yeah, that's really interesting. Loads of star anise um, and cinnamon lemongrass, and it was just phenomenal. That sounds people just lost their mind. Really life. good. Yeah. Did you? How did you follow that? Did you follow it with the pudding? I what did I do? I followed it with oh, we did a few puddings. Pete had made. <laughs> Being like Christmas time, Pete had made a gingerbread house. Oh, had he? But, <laughs> wow. But it was a moomin gingerbread house. <laughs> oh, I mean, no, he's ridiculous. He's a man of many talents. He is so cute. He basically <laughs> is obsessed with biscuits. So he he wants to eat biscuits. So he just makes them. And someone had given us a, a gingerbread house kit from Moomin Land because we call each other Moomin, basically. So we're obsessed with Moomins. And had given him a Moomin gingerbread house kit, which he took very seriously and was actually really, really difficult took him two days oh my god <laughs> like my heart really went out for him and then i also made like a flourless chocolate cardamom sort of trying to keep with the spice theme i made this flourless chocolate cardamom cake with loads of hazelnuts in it which was also really nice and just we just put in like a spread of stuff yeah oh that sounds amazing so one thing that we ask everyone on desert island dishes is what is your favorite ever cookbook your sort of most treasured cookbook that's really hard because i have a lot of cookbooks I'm going to say Falling Cloudberries by Tessa Kiros. Ooh. I adore Tessa Kiros. I think she, she is someone that really made, I don't know, I can't know how to word it. Before I bought Falling Cloudberries and I bought it when it came out, cookbooks had always seemed very functional, you know, and I think she was the first person to really get me into food writing and the styling. And I just connected to this book, I think, because she's half Cypriot as well. So there's a lot of references. I think it was the first time I'd read a book where there was references to food that I I knew and it was it's very beautifully done. And it's just for me, it was like a bit of a Bible when it came out. And and I would cherish I just cherished it. I and I still think she's a phenomenal writer and someone who I, I sort of look up to and respect very much. And and I remember thinking, I, I want to be Tessa Kiros, <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing to say. <laughs> Sorry, Tessa. But, um and actually we chat now and she's still amazing. But you know, it, at that time I just remember thinking, Wow, that's that's it, I get it. Um and it's definitely one of my most splattered cookbooks, which yeah. I think is always a really good sign. Yeah, it's a very good sign. I can't believe it, but we're on to the final seventh desert island dish. And that is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. I can't. I don't even know. I don't even know, Margie. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You can have many courses. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I just, this is going to be really long. 
<laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I've got all day. I just want to eat all my granny's food. Okay. Yeah. That is, you can have you know a spread. What? It's it's really funny. We often do that thing. What's your favorite food? And and apart from Cypriot food, I'd say Indian Indian food is my absolute favorite. But like I've said to you before, and I I born about it. I am I am a hugely sentimental person. I'm I'm so sentimental. I'm very emotional. And and for me, food and and cooking is is about people. It's not about having a foam or a, a caviar or whatever. It's it's about it's about love. So, um, my favorite food is food that's cooked by my mum, by my my aya. So it would be basically just a table filled with with things from them. It would be afko lemoni. It'd be that soup, the egg and the chicken soup. And it would be my, my. I lost one of my ayas a few years ago. It'd be her vine leaves because I actually realised I've never. I was never a huge fan of stuff vine leaves, but hers were the only ones I would eat. And then I, I, I realised after she died, I never ate them again. Um, oh. Just because I just didn't like. I didn't want anyone else. Yeah, hers were different. They were sweet and they melt in the mouth. And when people give me vine leaves, I'm like, what the fuck's that? It's just they're, they're shit. So <laughs> what? Do, what did she do that was different? You know what's different actually? She. She would cook them on the hob, not in the oven, and she would grate fresh tomatoes into the water that they were cooked in. Because mm. basically, you roll the vine leaves and you make your filling, whatever that may be, and you layer them in the dish, and then you pour water over them, obviously, to cook the rice. And into that water, she would feed it with really good olive oil, and she would grate fresh tomatoes into it. So there would be this natural sweetness to them, which is not everyone does, well, hardly anyone does that. Um, and when I was writing to Verna and researching the book and I was spending time in Cyprus, she has many sisters and I and I cooked vine leaves with all the sisters and they actually do it the same. And it was oh. the first time I'd eaten them in years. And I was like, oh my God, they're just like my ayahs because obviously they're sisters, right? So so I would eat her vine leaves and my other ayah who's still around, you know, she's she's incredible with puddings. Like I would eat all her puddings and and I think for me it would just be a table. What's her speciality pudding? It's called Yalda Bureko. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That. Say, that, 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 that <laughs> it's basically uh, it, they're phyllo cigars filled with custard. Oh, yeah. But then they're drenched in a sugar syrup. So, um, and they're, they're, she makes them really small, so it kind of feels like finger food, <laughs> even though it's a pudding. Yeah. So you can eat like ten, and you'll be yeah. like, I've just eaten the best kind. Fine. Just had a canopy. Just had a canopy. <laughs> just sitting there, there's a tray of them, but I've really had like a smidge, and it's fine because she made five hundred, by the way. Um, <laughs> So it would, yeah, I would have to have probably a meze, literally, of just all of my family's food, I think. That sounds amazing. And in the nicest possible way, I'm very much looking forward to you going to the desert island because I'm going to eat this with you. So Great. Great. Thank <laughs> you. Georgie, thank you so much for letting us Having hear your me. desert island dishes. Oh, thank you. So many good little nuggets in that one. And kind of amazing if someone's answer to a desert island dish can actually make you cry. I think that might be a first. I'm so excited about her new book. It's going to be wonderful. I will put the link to pre-order it in the show notes. If you're listening and you haven't yet left a review, now is your chance. It really is quick, I promise. But mostly, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget that you can find me on Instagram at Margie Nomura. And you can visit the website, desertislanddishes.co, where you'll find loads of different recipes, kitchen tips and tricks. And I will see you next time. Bye.